Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. And uh, speaking of getting real, did you know that birds aren't real? <laughs> Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, so I don't know if you've uh, heard this yet. It came out a few years ago, but birds aren't real. Starting in the 60s, the government started killing all the birds and replacing them with drones to spy on us. Um, and so that's why you see them on power lines, because that's where they recharge. And, um, and then they're, they're spying on us, right? Seagulls, when you're at the beach, they're just really trying to get inside information on, on your life. Now, I heard this a couple years ago, and I remember being kind of shocked, like, do people actually believe that? Um, and I think a couple people might have, um, but in general, no. What I thought was even more interesting was that some people believed other people actually believed it. I mean, it was all over the major news sources. Can you believe these people think birds aren't real? And the people that started are like, ha ha, like, we never actually thought that. We're just making fun of the whole system that people believe anything. And so it kind of goes back and forth of this whole, right, fake news. This came out during the whole fake news thing. And it was just a high school kid who's like, I'm just going to play a joke on this whole thing. And it blew up, right? Some people falling for it. Other people, you know, just going down. But it was kind of uh, indicative of our culture where we're, we're looking at what is real. Again, this whole fake news. What, what can we believe? And some will believe anything. And unfortunately, Christians often kind of fall into that camp um, where Christians a lot of times will fall for a lot of things. Um, but then there's the other side where, well, nothing's real. There, there is no truth, right? Um, and so anything can be okay, and both lead to the wrong place. So we're, we're starting in 1 John today, and I'm excited for this series, but we're looking at getting real, right? Let's get real. What is real? And there's going to be a couple things. You know, first, we're going to look at truth, right? What is real is Christianity, biblical Christianity, just another bit of fake news? Or is it one truth among many? You know, the, the idea that truth is relative and there is no real truth is actually pretty new. But the idea of fake news, that's not new. I mean, that's a new label we put on it in the past four years or whatever. But that's not new. All the time, there's been things coming out that are not true. What, 150 years ago or so, uh, th this guy in uh, North America got a it was maybe a little longer than that, um, he had a vision from an angel and was given these golden tablets um, and had a new revelation from God. And in it, it said that the Native Americans were the lost tribes of Israel. Fake news, <laughs> right? Um, one of the other biggest religions in the world, Muhammad comes along, this one guy with these new ideas about who God is based somewhat on ancient Judaism and then changed a little bit fake news about who God is. And so is Christianity, biblical Christianity, just another myth? Or, or is it just useful, right? Is it pragmatic? Or is it actually real? Is it actually true? And so we're going to look at that. But then we're going to take one step further as we go through this book about getting real. If that's real, then the question is, can we be real? I don't know if you noticed what was happening in that opening video, um, but people taking their photo on social media and they can change it, right? Maybe you've done that. You can doctor it, like, ah, I don't like that zit there. Make it go away, you know? Um, I, I look too pale. Make it darker. You can change all of these things. And so part of this idea is that as we look at 1 John, we're given the freedom to be real, right? To, to stop faking it, to, to stop putting off a mask. To a certain extent, who cares what other people think 
It matters what God thinks. And so we can get real. And we talk a lot around here about real life change. You know, we talk about the abundant life. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, Jesus didn't come to give us religion, right? Or to put us in bondage. He came to really set us free. And that only really happens in our lives when we, when we get real. When we get real about who God is, we get real about ourselves, and we get real as we get in Scripture to see what God wants to do, and again, what is true. But first, if we really want to experience that kind of life, we want to be okay getting real, it starts with the idea, is the gospel real? Is it true? So turn to 1 John. 1 John, uh, and if you're using the Bible in front of you, that is page 1,122, 1122. If you brought your own Bible, I don't know the page number, but turn there. Um, or use your device. That's a lot easier to find it as well. And we're going to be looking at just a few verses this morning, starting in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. But as you turn there, let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, um, we ask for you to be present here with us this morning. Holy Spirit, we, we need you to enlighten our hearts and our minds uh, that you would make any adjustments in us you want to make. But God, we also ask for you to work. Um, we look around and we see a lot of pain and suffering, sometimes in our own families, and our own lives, uh, but definitely in those around us as well. And, and we need you. Uh, in, in Jesus, when you taught us to pray, you said, pray this way, uh, let your kingdom come and your will be done. And that's what we ask this morning. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. And let us be faithful to follow you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 John 1, we're going to start with 1 through 4. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So this is the intro to 1 John, and this is written by John. John the Apostle John, John who wrote the Gospel of John. And if you know John, John is one of the 12 apostles. So he was one of those chosen by Jesus to be kind of in his close group. Now, in that group of 12, there were three that were even closer, and John was in that group. Most would think that John was probably the youngest of all the apostles, uh, maybe quite young, maybe a teenager at this time, not sure exactly. Uh, but John is kind of a, a unique character. You know, as I read through the New Testament and you see the other apostles, you see Peter. Um, I think Peter and I would butt heads because I think we're too similar. Um, Paul, I, I think, would tire me out. Uh, Paul is just relentless, right? He's just always like, what's next? What's next? I'm like, can we take a nap? John, I think I could hang out with John. I, I mean, John is one, he's probably the most poetic of the New Testament writers. John is, he talks a lot about love. He uses certain words over and over and, and, and imagery. Uh, John was John was special. When John and Peter, they ran to the tomb, right? The ladies saw that Jesus had risen. The tomb was, was empty. The, the two of them sprinted there. Peter stopped, or John stopped and looked, and they, or Peter stopped. John went in, and, right? John was, was there 
with Jesus. Now, John is the only of the apostles who wasn't martyred for his faith. The other 11, or 12, if you count Paul in there, were all murdered for their faith. They were martyred. John was exiled, and so he lived to an older age. This is also the John who received the revelation in the book of Revelation. Anyway, John, I say all that to say the way he begins this is beautiful. If you know the gospel of John, he begins it similar. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Right, that, that which was from the beginning. In John 1, 1, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, which mirrors the beginning of Genesis 1. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is just so immersed in scripture that he, he just puts these images together to take us somewhere. And so this beginning, he says, what was from the beginning? What is that beginning? It's the same as in the gospel of John. It's the same as in Genesis 1.1. There is only one thing that was in the beginning, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Right? Earth ha had a beginning, we all had a beginning, but there is something that didn't have a beginning, and that is God. So he's referring to God here. Um, and then he goes on to more about that. And uh, one of the things I think we need to, to recognize what he's talking about before we get into it too far is he's talking about Jesus. So, I mean, we can go through and then pull that out. He's speaking about Jesus. Jesus is from the beginning. And we know that partly he's going to get into it, but also he assumes that we're familiar with John 1. And in John 1, he goes, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, speaking of Jesus. Because it says later, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw Jesus. So this is speaking of Jesus. Jesus, the eternal Word of God. Because that's what he calls him in John 1, 1. Which we have seen or which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He uses that word, word, quite a bit. He uses it in John. He uses it here. Word, it's the word logos. It's the idea of a complete communication. There was a false teaching becoming popular around this time called Gnosticism, where you have to be real smart and enlightened uh, to be in the, the upper echelons of spirituality, right? That you, you have to somehow get this special revelation and truth from the logos. So John takes their word and he applies it to the real logos, Jesus, the real word. And he's trying to tell us something about Jesus that we need to understand here. It says that which was from the beginning. Then he goes on, we know that's Jesus. What is real is that Jesus is the eternal God. That's the first thing he wants us to know, right? He begins here, and he's going to get into how it applies to life, how we can live it out, what makes, but what is real first is that Jesus is the eternal God. We see here a reference to the Father and a reference to the Son. We don't see a reference here to the Holy Spirit, but that's everywhere else in Scripture, speaking of the Trinity, right? That Jesus is fully man, but he's also fully God. The Trinity is a basic central doctrine of true biblical faith. It's not one of those things that you can just throw out. It is central to our faith and always has been, right? I love this quote. Try and explain the Trinity and you'll lose your mind. Try to explain it away and you'll lose your soul. So here's the first part of getting real. We recognize who Jesus is as an equal member in the Trinity, part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, separate but equal. Good luck. But that's the first thing we need to understand. Now, something else comes out, right? He's speaking of the word. 
And then there's a word used twice, the word manifest. This word of life, it was made manifest. What does that mean, manifest? Something secret that's revealed. Now, it can also be like all the people on a ship, you know, the manifest. That's not what it is. Don't be confused. Manifest, something revealed like, ta-da, you know, behind a curtain. This truth was made manifest, something revealed, something made known. And what is made known? The word of life. And again, what's a word? A communication. And so John is wanting to tell us something else here right at the beginning is that Jesus is the communication from God to us, right? That this word, this truth is is made known and Jesus is this word. So this is also in your notes that not only is Jesus eternal, he is God's final revelation of himself. Meaning this, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. That's it. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus will show you exactly what God is like. You know, every religion out there, uh, there's some kind of a messenger or a prophet that comes and, and tells about, you know, God or whatever it is. True biblical faith is the only one where God came himself of, of self-disclosure, self-revelation. Jesus saying, here I am, right? He tells him, if you've seen the Father, or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, this is what God is like. All the others are somebody else, you know, this is what God says, or we think this is what God is like, but now it's on Jesus. This is important. Hebrews 1.1 says it this way. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom, by the way, he also created the world. This is Jesus. This is very, very important. If we want to know what is real, we need to understand this truth. God's final revelation about himself is Jesus. So any prophet that has come since Jesus, if they say anything different than what Jesus would say or what's in scripture, false prophet, wrong. Jesus is the final revelation of God. And he wants to make himself known. Now in Romans 1, we see that creation makes God known. So, right, we can get to know God in creation. Some people, oh, nature is my church. On Sunday, I just go out there. A little bit. You can learn a few things about God. Uh, in Romans, it says about his eternal, crea- or his eternal nature, his eternal power. You can know these things. But you can't know the specifics from nature. So scripture reveals specifics. And ultimately, Jesus reveals those specifics. So again, any, any new revelation is fake news, right? It's kind of like the birds aren't real. If somebody comes along and says, by the way, God showed me something new that adds to scripture or changes it, immediately, that's quick and easy. We know scripture. No, wrong, fake news. Birds aren't real. But, but John wants us to understand something more about this. Again, is this just another myth? Is this just something useful or pragmatic? And it is pragmatic, right? If you do life God's way, life will be better. But what it comes down to is, is it actually true? You know, we, we follow Jesus not because of what he does for us, although that is really awesome. Simply this, it's true. Jesus is true. He is real. In verse 1, what does John say? Again, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, the eternal word, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. What is he saying about Jesus? We were there. We saw him. We heard him. 
We touched him. We were with him. We ate with him. Right at the Last Supper, when you read that story, John is sitting next to Jesus and actually leaning on him for a while. Maybe you've seen the picture, you know, the good old famous picture. That's true according to scripture. They, they touched Jesus. They knew him. But there's more than just that. So he's saying, we knew Jesus. So all this stuff written in here, this is written after the gospels. So those gospels are being spread. People are getting to know Jesus through, through that and through his people. Here he's saying, this is all true. We knew him. I knew this guy. He was awesome. Um, but here this touch has a, a deeper meaning. He's probably here referring to Jesus in his resurrected body. He touched, they touched Jesus after he rose from the dead. And the point of that is actually pretty significant. Jesus didn't rise from the dead spiritually. That is a lie. That is fake news that has been spreading for centuries. That Jesus, yeah, he died, but he, he rose spiritually. He didn't rise bodily. The scripture makes very clear. He rose bodily from the dead. Paul will say, if he didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain and we're all still in our sins. And sucks to be us, right? That's what Paul says. John 20, again, this is the same gospel, or, or the same writer, John. John writes this in John 20, 24 to 29. This is after Jesus' resurrection. Now, Thomas, poor Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas, we've all probably said, oh, you're a doubting Thomas. He only doubts this one time, and now he gets this label, doubting Thomas. But, but here, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? And put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Part of this real truth we need to understand, not only is Jesus eternal, a member of the Trinity, the Godhead, he came in flesh, he died on the cross, and he rose bodily from the dead. Thomas is blessed. I mean, Thomas goes all in. He will be killed for his faith. But he says, blessed are those who don't see yet believe. Now, here's something I want to point out, though. Is this a blind faith? Because I sure grew up hearing this from some. I didn't hear it from my family, but I heard it from others or others. Just believe. Oh, but I have a question. No, 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 no. No doubts. No questions. Just believe what we tell you to believe. Is that God's kind of faith? Absolutely not. What's great about biblical Christianity is Jesus says, God says, test it. Question me. Let's talk about it. Let's look at truth. Let's look at nature. Let's look at reality. Let's look at scripture. You can test it. Every other religion out there, don't test it because it's actually not true. It's all fit. And you start testing it and you realize, no, these things don't add up. True biblical faith adds up because it's real. So here's your next note. There is eyewitness evidence that Jesus died then rose bodily from the dead. Eyewitness evidence, right? The, the best report you're gonna get on any event is gonna be an eyewitness, right? There might be rumors or whatever, but you speak to somebody who was there. So when I was in high school, I drove a 85 Ford Bronco. It was awesome. Now, 
Parents, I don't know your philosophy of cars or whatever, but um, it wasn't my car. It was my parents' car that they let me drive. Um, my favorite show growing up, Dukes of Hazard. So put that together, um, <laughs> and uh, I figured out how to get some air in that thing. It might be different if I paid for it, but I didn't. Um, and the best place that I could jump, it was actually on the church property. There was kind of like this plateau and this ramp. And so, you know, right before youth group, people would come early, and you know, I'd hit that, and so much fun. Well, after I went to college, that vehicle stayed home, and uh, my parents, being the awesome people that they are, were going to fix it up and give it to one of their employees um, as a, a good quality vehicle. So he took it to the mechanic, and my dad came in. The mechanic says, what did you do to this thing? It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> the front end is a mess. Like, everything, it all has to be, rep- what happened here? And my dad had heard some rumors, right, <laughs> about what might have happened. And then he found an eyewitness, and he tricked him. One of my friends, I don't know where they were, he's like, man, so, so I heard Derek got a, a lot of air. How high did he get? He's like, oh, my gosh, he was at least... Oh, shoot. <laughs> right? So my dad got some eyewitness evidence, and I was busted. And that was just, that was just one witness, right? That was just one person, and he believed him because he was telling the truth. But an eyewitness matters. Now, that is a question, though. Let me ask that. How many eyewitnesses does it take? You know, one can lie. A, a couple could get together. By the way, that was a rumor that came out uh, after Jesus rose from the dead. It's like, oh, the disciples are just making this up, right? These 12 just got together, and they're telling a story. They all ended up dying for it. You don't die for something you made up, right? You know what I mean? You'll die for something fake that you believe, but if they were the ones that made it up, they wouldn't have given their lives for it. But there were more than just 12 witnesses. And before we look at how many, compare this to other religions, Okay, Uh, let's look at Joseph Smith, who got a new revelation. Gold tablets came out of heaven. He put a blanket over him, and he read them, right, and had somebody else write it down. He's the only one that saw those golden tablets or the angel Moroni. What one? Mohammed, right? We've got the Quran. Who wrote the Quran? Mohammed. One guy, but he couldn't write. So he just spoke what he was hearing from God, and somebody else wrote it down. But, but one person, one person. Before we look at Jesus' resurrection, I want to point something out about the scriptures. The scriptures here are unique among all literature. How many books in here? 66. How many authors? Over 40. Over a span of about 1,500 years, written in three different languages on three different continents. One story. That, that actually gives me chills. If you dig into that, this book is so unique among any religious text out there that we can trust it. <laughs> now, okay, maybe you've heard this. Um, it's, it's changed over time, right? It was written by men, and it's morphed to fit, right, ever. And, and, and the truth is we have over 20,000 ancient manuscripts in many different languages, and you compare them, and, and they agree. Uh, ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? It's so cool. Uh, The Dead Sea Scrolls, I think it was in the 20s. Correct me if I'm wrong. 1920s. But there was a time before that it was becoming popular. Oh, this isn't reliable. We can't trust it. And God's like, all right, fine. Kid, go throw a stone in that cave. Kid throws a stone. Here's a crash. Boom. This plethora of ancient scrolls. One book, I think it was the book of Isaiah they found, was a 1,000 years older than our oldest manuscript. Complete. The whole thing. And they took it and compared to what we had and went, huh, it's the same. Right? So, I mean, so God gave us this to go, you can trust what is written here. 
we can trust without a doubt that this is what was originally written. So what does it say about Jesus' resurrection? How many eyewitnesses? 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 6. Paul is writing this. He, speaking of Jesus, he was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. What's his point? We saw Jesus risen from the dead. So did 500 other people at the same time. Go ask him. That's why he says most are still alive, meaning you can go ask him. Ask around. Did you see? Oh, I saw it. Right? And the stories are going to be the same. This is not one person got this message. This is Jesus risen from the dead saying, hey, look. Right? God didn't. A lot of times, oh, we have to seek hard to find God. He's this mysterious, hidden. He, he's not hidden. He's given us the scriptures. He wants to make himself known. He sends Jesus, and Jesus rises from the dead. He's like, I'm here. Here, touch, right? Here, here's my hands. And then he ascends into heaven. We can believe what happened. There, were eyewitness, there was eyewitness evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Why does John start here in 1 John? He's probably writing to, to a group there's some false teachers moving into the church. There's some people coming through trying to change the truth. They're bringing in the fake news. Birds aren't real, right? And some people might start believing birds aren't real, right? Jesus isn't the son of God. He didn't actually rise. All these other things. He says, no, we're going to start with the basics. Jesus, the eternal son of God, died on the cross and rose from the dead. Why does he want them to understand this? And I would say, why does he want us to understand this? Well, what's he say in verse 4? John 1, 1 John 1, 4. It says, and we are writing these things. There's several times John does this. He's like, I'm writing this because boop, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. How would their joy be complete? Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John tells us about Jesus so that our joy may be complete. Our joy. Those who are already in the family of God and those yet to come. The joy is complete. You know when we do baptisms, right? The person being baptized is full of joy. And everybody else, there's just something about that. Oh, there's somebody new in the We have joy. There is joy in God saving a soul for the one saved and for the rest of us. And what is it? They're brought into this fellowship. Again, we're looking at getting real, right? Let's get real. How do we get real? It begins with faith in Jesus as Lord, that he died and rose from the dead, and then this has real impact on our lives, right? There's so much fake news out there, so many fake news, so many things out there that promise joy, peace, whatever it is, but they won't fulfill. Only true biblical faith can fulfill on these promises, only biblical faith. These other religions often will bring guilt, right? Or shame, or just duty, or religion. Charles Darwin came along, and he's like, we don't need God anymore for creation. Followed by Karl Marx, who said, if we don't need God for creation, we also don't need God for this earth. And so for him, he said, let's get rid of God completely, and we can find a utopia without God based on economics and politics and those things. Well, that, it's proven false over and over and over. Only Jesus can fully fulfill. Joy is found in fellowship 
with God the Father, Jesus, and God's people. That's where this joy is found. So here's that word fellowship, and we're going to see this word come up again and again. Fellowship, what does that mean? Fellowship is a partnership and a common cause. It's not, if you grew up in the church, hey, we're going to have fellowship time where we drink coffee. That's part of fellowship, hanging out, drinking coffee. But fellowship is much deeper. It's a, it's a binding together. It's like being on the same team, right? NFL starts today, <laughs> right? But these, these teams, any sport, the team comes together. They work together. They bond for a common purpose to win the game, whatever it is, to get to the, the Stanley Cup, the Super Bowl, all those things. The church is much deeper. It is a fellowship with the one true God and with one another and a common purpose and a common goal. But you cannot have true fellowship with believers if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. Right? I know a lot of people, they claim to be Christians, they, they hold those ideas loosely, but yet I'm part of the fellowship. I'm, I'm in the church. You might be here, but you're not part of God's fellowship if you don't believe the right things about Jesus and who he is. And Jesus gives an invitation to believe and become part of the fellowship. Here's what this means. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. God didn't design us to, to be saved and then just go do it on our own. He designed it so that we would become part of the team. Deeper than that, part of the family. You know, we are called the family of God. And so we join this family. I think something interesting here as he talks about, you know, uh, in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, this might be nitpicking, but where does the fellowship start? Typically, and I think this plays out in life, typically it starts with fellowship with God's people. You realize that? God has chosen to work through his people, not around them. Most people will find, fellow, they will find some kind of relationship with a believer that then leads to that relationship with God, which means you may be, you are God's plan A to reach people, right? God's plan A to save souls is you, believer, and there is no plan B. There is no plan B. We are God's plan A. Fellowship with the Father and the Son will typically begin with relationships with God's people. So as we see here, he talks about joy, right? Our joy is complete. Let me ask this. Why is it so many people are missing out on this joy? Why is it that so many Christians are angry, stressed, uh, in relational strife, upset? I mean, go down the list. Why is it that you know, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly? How is it that so few Christians seem to actually experience that? Jesus says, you know, come to me all who are weary. I will give you peace. Why is it so few Christians actually experience this peace? I think partly we're missing out significantly on what he wants to do. We think salvation is just, right, putting our name on this salvation card and then go do whatever we want. And so we see this. It's much deeper than that to actually experience that life, this life. This is why we titled this Let's Get Real, because our goal is to see ourselves changed. Our goal is to enjoy this life that God has for us. I know with COVID, we got to stay home a lot, which was kind of awesome in, in some ways. Um, we get to watch online, and a lot of folks are still watching online. We're so glad that you are, which is good. But if we don't actually get together, there's something we're missing out on. And we're going to get deeper into this over the next few weeks. But, but living in isolation is easier. 
in general, but it's not life-giving. It's fellowship. It's getting real with one another. You know, I touched on this earlier, but you may be asking, is this a place? You know, maybe you're new to Common Ground or, or you're not in groups, and you may be asking, can I get real? And, and I know some of you have been honest. I've heard it from group leaders, people in group going, can I actually be real here? Can I actually ask the questions? I doubt some things. Did you know doubt isn't sin? Again, we do wrong in the church when we think, you just make sure you look like the rest of us. No, 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 no. How about we get real with our doubts? And we start talking about them. And maybe, maybe we're in a group that then we go to scripture and go, oh, we all need to adjust a little bit. We can be real. And that's where growth happens. We can expose our doubts and our sin and be led God's way. Again, that's where the abundant life is. And so here's a little preview of what's to come. Look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. At all. You want to know a secret that I'm not going to tell you this week, but we're not going to get into it this week, but how to experience this life? It comes down to God being the light. What does light do? Light illuminates, right? Light shows. Black light. Black light, you know, think about the black light. God is light, which reveals things. And if, if we want him to do what he wants, to, we have to be able to step into his life and get real with that, with him and with the fellowship, with one another. But again, it begins with right belief. It's interesting. John starts here in 1 John 1 with the right belief. He ends this way in 1 John 5.20. Here's how he ends this book. He says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. He uses the word true three times. It is very important that we believe Jesus is true. And I know, you know, we're a church, and we ha- but I want to hammer this. Do you believe it? Do you believe it's true? You know, I sent this, this sermon to Ben um, to go through and work on outpost questions and things like that. And his response was like, this is worldview something, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, huh? <laughs> He's like, no, this is like right out of one of my classes that I took for, you know, counseling, whatever. And as we talked, I'm like, oh, that, it's true. That behavior, our behavior stems from our values, right? And those stem from what we actually believe. So often we start with behavior, even with our kids, fix the behavior, pretend to be this way, when really we need to go all the way back to belief. What do we really believe? And I've done this in my life where I see certain behaviors that aren't in line, and God kind of, there's like a timeout. Derek, do you really believe I died for you? Do you really believe that I will give you all the joy? Then why are you chasing a hamburger when I want to give you a steak? Right? What do I really believe? And forces us to, to go down to the basics. Do you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be? And that this life is found in fellowship with him and with God's people. Man, our God is so good. Believe in Jesus, join the fellowship, and enjoy this light of life. More details come next week. But as we wrap up, let's just worship, right? Let's thank God for what he's done. Let's thank Jesus for coming in flesh, for making it, I'll be honest, easy to believe. It's easy. When, when we dig in, when you compare the truths here and how trustworthy this is, he makes it easy for us to believe unless we really don't want to. 
And we can thank God for that. We can worship him. If you're here and, and you're, you know, I'm not sure I believe. I'm not sure exactly what to believe. I'm going to be back here in the back. But it begins with right belief about God and confessing to go his way, right? Surrendering to him as Lord. And then he does the hard work of working with us to grow us. Uh, but let's, let's finish in worship. God, we love you. Uh, we praise you. <laughs> Jesus, I do thank you. Um, I, I guess as I read here, it does make it easy to believe when I get critical and I compare scripture with other scriptures and this truth against other claims of truth. And yours is obviously true. Um, I, I thank you for that. But God, I also thank you for your grace and mercy um, as that truth is applied to my life and others' life. And it seems like we stumble along slowly. Um, thank you for your patience with us. God, the longer I go as, as a, a pastor in ministry, I realize more and more how much we need you, uh, how much nobody has arrived, and how big your mercy is, how big your grace is. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace. Jesus, I thank you that you loved us enough that you would leave the throne in heaven and you would take on flesh. You would go to the cross and suffer in a way we can't even imagine so that we could be forgiven. And then that you would rise from the dead. And thank you for letting those five people see you at one time. And that could be written down so that we can trust that this is true. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.